the New England Unsettler is an audio journal of minor sabotage, fringe theory, deep ecology, radical, radical, radical politics, the unusual, and the underground, hyperreality, it's produced by panopticon artists, for a freer, post-structuralist, thoroughly decentralized world. It is the New England Unsettler. Uh, this is Communique 011. This shit is on time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, because I actually I didn't boot up a lot of stuff. <laughs> the playlist started before I meant to, but I think we can recover from it. Athena, yeah. tell me about your week since last we spoke. Uh, well, I did a, a, l- a large amount of welding. Um, Again. Yeah, but I like I saw this project to the completion of at least stage one, so I'm feeling really excited about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, what else happened last week? Uh, I made another. I made another weird thing that that that's made of wood. Um, I feel like I should post these on the blog so people know what we're talking about. I'm making a lot of things these days, which is a it's a nice output. I mean, it's um, important to make stuff. I really want you yeah. to teach me how to weld. I'm going to teach you. It's fun as heck. Uh, we can, like, build a structure in no time. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what I would want to weld. Um, I mean, I mean, what the ultimate shape would be what the ultimate purpose no like you know like i think it would be cool to make some sort of instrument or maybe like fix an instrument that i have that i didn't think i could fix you could weld yourself some armor you you could weld something to your bike i could weld myself a stab vest for when i go out and there's and i'm counter protesting fascists precisely yeah you could weld something to your bike actually that would be dope really fun yeah as long as it's not structural to be on the safe oh, side. Oh, sure. But like I mean, you could you could rig up like a you know, some kind of Oh, though thing to be fair, cargo. we do know people who make structural changes to bikes yes, that involve them welding things together. I just mean if you yourself are going to do it, maybe start. Oh, you're saying you don't have faith in me, that's all. <laughs> just baby steps. That's baby cool. welding steps. That's cool. Um also last week I uh I went to one of the um, Boston Pride Parade Marshal meetings because I'm a Pride Parade Marshal. Oh no! You joined you joined <laughs> the Pride Parade military. Yeah. <sighs> um. Yeah, I'm a you know I'm a joiner sometimes. Well, that's all right. Um. And you and I made a a short trip to uh, one of our favorite places down by the water. Oh, we totally did. Yeah, that was fun down on the South Shore. Yeah. South South Shore. Um, yeah, that was good. I thought I was going to find a bunch of old stuff that I thought I had there, and then it turns out I, like, donated a lot of it. Hmm. You ever do that? Yeah. You, like, donate some stuff, you're like, I don't need all this stuff, and then later you're like, oh, maybe I put that stuff somewhere. And you did. You put it... You put it in somebody else's home. You put it in someone else's <laughs> home. Which is great, because it means that I don't need it if I wasn't thinking about it until then. But Yeah. You know, these things happen. Uh, I had a thought... It's at the top of my notes, so I'm just, you know, I'm going to say it. But 
it was interesting because I was listening. I forget what I was even listening to, the podcast or something, and uh, it was discussion about small government and Republicans, people on the right in general, but Republicans, mainstream Republicans, talk a lot about small government all the time. But they seem to centralize state power, work towards centralizing state power. Or I'm sorry, state power meaning like nation state power, not individual states within the union. Right. Kind of gets confusing with the terminology. So I feel like they're always centralizing and bulking up what can be weaponized mm -hmm. at the federal level. But then something like healthcare, right? Like good healthcare or giving benefits, you know, what some people call entitlements, mm -hmm. welfare and whatnot. You can't weaponize helping people. Right. So they want those to be, you know, why would they worry about whether they're controlled by a central government? Right. You know, you would think they would be like, we'll leave that up to the states too. But then there's this whole battle over healthcare and about changing it at a federal level. Right. Um, it's really bizarre to me for some reason. I don't know. I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I think it just speaks to the sort of disingenuous nature of those arguments. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think, uh, I think they're often not thought out, <laughs> which is really interesting. I, I kind of struggled with this for a little while when I was thinking about, um, I mean, that's all they do, right? Yeah. Lawmakers. I mean, they, just, they just talk, but like, you know, I would think about specifically people I know, like, you know, my dad who is would definitely consider himself like a very right-leaning Republican. And there have been so many specific instances in which I'm like, this doesn't serve you at all, though. Right, you're saying that people don't always vote in their best interest, necessarily. Yeah, I don't even think they fully understand like how what they're saying doesn't jive with the reality of uh, what they want or what they're doing. I mean, some of that is understandable, if only because that's, that's what the pronouncements that come down from lawmakers and politicians are meant to do is confuse people yeah like is to say this is this is why like you want this law to pass or this is why you want this is why you don't want this law to pass yeah and they're not telling the whole story they're what they may be saying could be argued for maybe on a philosophical level but it's not actually the truth yeah um although now it's getting less and less important to have even a kernel of the truth Alternate facts. Alternate facts. Alternate so, news. That was just something I was thinking about. Yeah. Yesterday was Mother's Day. Did you call your mom? Uh, I did. I called my mom and mom. I called your mom. Oh, you did. <laughs> I called my mom it's extremely too. thorough. If you're listening to this live, if you're one of our three list Three? Where'd the other two we usually have go? Are you guys all together? That'd be great. They're having a land party. <laughs> land listening party Woo. Uh, I guess the other two people maybe shut their computers today oh, well. it's too bad Well, but um, if you are listening if you're one of the three people listening um, then you should know that it was Mother's Day yesterday and if you haven't called your mom or a mother person in your life then maybe you should yeah. think about it still like to hear from you my mom was also really impressed that I've been welding nice. she said I went up to her there Oh yeah? Yeah, she, she I mean learn. she said totally. She'd I mean she learn. was like really excited when I learned how to drive a forklift because she also has that skill, so I think she just wants us to be matched. Yeah. I can understand that. There are certain things uh every everyone <laughs> in daughter your, every, have in common. <laughs> exactly. The mother mother daughter fork race, <laughs> fork forklift races. 
Um, there was a National Mama's Bailout Day that, saw that. The, the project itself was initiated a while ago because um, Black Lives Matter and some affiliated groups were organizing in advance of Mother's Day to try to bail out as many women, black women, from prison as possible on Mother's Day. Um, and it raised more than $500,000. That's pretty amazing. More than 50 women around the country were bailed out. The organizing groups were from Baltimore, New York, Atlanta, Oakland, Chicago. And I think it's pretty amazing. It's pretty incredible to see something get organized that has a legit, or not legit, but a measurable outcome. Yeah, like a very direct impact. 50 black and women like released. massively important one. From prison, right. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting about some of the articles that I read about um, uh, about the organizations, in particular this Mother Jones article about the project, mentioned an organizer named Mary Hooks who said that black people have a tradition of using our collective resources to buy each other's freedoms. She's mm. referring to the slavery era, era practice of um, free black people saving money to purchase the freedom of their enslaved family members and friends. And that was a really powerful connection, wow. I thought, to make, um, especially as we talk about the cash bail system and what it means for people who are cash poor, for people who are poverty stricken, and uh, for people who have been marginalized and who have been disenfranchised for so long. Um, and the number of women behind bars in the United States has increased 700% since 1980, uh, according to the Sentencing Project, which is referenced in, again, this article in Mother Jones, which I'll throw on the blog. It's I, yeah. pretty wild. It's also kind of crazy because a lot of them haven't actually been convicted of anything. Right. People are just sitting and don't have the money to buy right. their freedom. It's literally. crazy. The term mama here is used, it's broadly defined. It's not just women with biological children, but all women, including trans women, who are linchpins for their families and neighborhoods. And uh, Mary Hooks again saying it's about knowing and naming that black women play such a critical role in our communities. I just thought it was, it had a beautiful message behind it. It mm -hmm. did something concrete and real. Mm -hmm. um, I donated a bit um, and I would encourage anybody else to look up the project because they're still taking donations for people who need to take care of things that weren't being taken care of while they were right. incarcerated, even if it was briefly, um, because you can lose housing, you can lose all of these support systems very quickly, depending on what your uh, life situation is. So I just wanted to start off with that. That's pretty amazing. I said we were going to bring some positive news. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think last week we sort of recognized that we were, uh, I mean, there was a lot. That's not our fault, but... Um, there's some there's some good action happening. Actually, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to go on too much of a, a like side topic that has nothing to do with this, but it's a good sad news. Topic. Side, side, side. Happy side. Um, next week uh, on uh, Wednesday, right? Yeah, Wednesday. Um, our good friend Ben Youngkamp is having a 
a kickoff party for his campaign um, for uh, Alderman of Ward 3 of Somerville. How did I not know about this? Uh, I just saw it today. So it'll oh. be at a cantina right across the parking lot here um, in the evening. I think it's starting at 6. So he's there That's to, awesome. uh, to talk about who he is and, and what he's hoping to change and... I assume I, I assume he'll be joined by the unofficial mayor of Union Square, Taco Bob. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I've had a lot of great food over there and good times. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I'll probably go to that. Should be good. What else is happening? <clears throat> like stuff? Yeah, I figure there's I'll just jump a- to this. There's the yeah exactly. The, Is that what you were gonna say? Yeah, <laughs> the other thing I was thinking of. Well, because they like they they posted a bunch of stuff today. Do you want to tell um, our listeners what it is? I'm just gonna keep referring to it like just talking that, around it. This? That great <laughs> event. Um, yeah, this Thursday five to six. Uh, reject the waiver rally for affordable housing in Summerfoot City Hall. I think we have talked a little bit at least about. Um, I think we chatted about it. Yeah, about last federal, week. Maybe yeah, maybe last week. Federal Realty's um, push to uh, get a waiver that would allow them to undercut the amount of affordable housing that is standard, which is twenty percent, um, to only twelve point five, which is crazy. Um, and they're I don't know they're just like a, a massive like a massive development. And if they get the waiver, we'll lose thirty seven units of affordable housing. Yeah. That's what it means in in real numbers. And like how many people is that too? If I mean if you like broke that down, it's pretty crazy. Right. I mean, depending on the size of the units, we could be talking about entire families that are missing out on affordable housing because a billion dollar developer wants to not play by the city's rules and potentially set a precedent. Yeah, which would be horrible. Like, uh, the, the like, development is happening so quickly in these areas, um, in Boston and Somerville. Uh, like, it's super duper dense, it's pretty unaffordable to begin with, and to remove housing like that would be kind of criminal. Plus, this development company is, like, raking in cash, so it just, it's, like, really inexcusable. They also... <clears throat> So someone named Peyton Corbett, I don't know this person, but they posted in the Facebook event that $8,000 from FRIT employees, F-R-I-T, um, Federal Realty, employees gave Joker to Tone between 2011 and 2015 alone $8,000, which doesn't take into account, you know, money from, you know, potentially their family and friends or contacts that, you know, money could have come through that didn't directly come from employees of FRIT but he's got it all listed right here and these are all people that are you know some people are within Massachusetts but it's as far away as Virginia Pennsylvania California these donations are coming in to keep Hmm. Mayor Joe apparently squarely in the camp of the developers that seems like a real conflict of interest yeah but it it's but how it's like, politicians it's like how it do things. Yeah. And it's it's really depressing, especially coming from a guy who, you know, talks big game about sanctuary cities and being against Donald Trump. You're like actively it's not protecting immigrants if they can't live here. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want fascism, just a uh, plutocracy, uh. I guess. Uh, this vote for whether or not to give the waiver to federal realty comes on the heels of another vote from the Somerville Redevelopment Authority who transferred 12 acres of property to the master development of the Union Square project known as US2. 
That was against the wishes of community members who turned out in force, but they were also opposed by agitators from outside the neighborhood who may or may not have been organized by US2 themselves. May have been hired to uh, sort of act as Somerville residents. Yep. Our our good friend Matt, who is on the second uh, episode of this podcast, which was called All Beverly Hill Cops Are Bastards, he is a local agitator, lo- a local activist, <laughs> yes. and he wrote a piece that you can find on Medium. We'll put the link on the blog. Um, oh, by the way, I should pause quickly. The last week's episode is up. There is a blog post Ooh. about it. I haven't gotten to get all social media savvy mm. on it quite yet. Took me forever, but it's up there. The next one is like pretty much already in the can. I had a great conversation with somebody and I'm very, very excited, but I do thank everybody for their patience uh, who might be listening to this episode and have not seen the other one. We got our two we listeners got our two back. Listeners back. <laughs> hey. Thank you, two listeners, for tuning in. Um, I mean, thank you to, for the three that were listening the whole time, but thank you so much for coming back to the two that came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so Matt talks about this in, a, in an article that he in, that he titled uh, Somerville got astroturfed uh, a lot of pro developer attendees who didn't make any secret of the fact that they weren't Somervillains showed up um, there were some people handing out signs and stickers there was you know a Malden resident so people coming from outside of the city and potentially having some connection to developers that have their sites set on Union Square to come and just be bodies in the room yeah. at these events and and make it seem legit and you you have to wonder if the Somerville if the SRA the Somerville Redevelopment Authority doesn't realize what's happening when they when they go to those votes or is it is it just all for show right. and we're all stuck in the middle as as the fools I don't know it's pretty crazy. But it bothers me. So that's what's going on close to home. So Thursday. I don't know what's going on. Actually, I should follow up and get back to everybody about what's happening in JP. Oh, as of last week's show. Yeah. Um, but I do know that the Wake Up the Earth Festival, annual Wake Up the Earth Festival, was this past Saturday. And you went. It got pushed back because of rain it was still kind of rainy and crappy but it was still pretty fun it was a little bit smaller i think because it got rescheduled so i'm sure there were some people that couldn't make the rain date yeah but i really like that festival because it's not a celebration of a national holiday or state holiday or or an excuse to sort of have a holiday sort of like marathon monday even which is like for a good cause but has you know a ton of corporate sponsors and this is something where people are celebrating a win against development, a win against a freeway being put through what is now a vibrant neighborhood right. in JP. And obviously, JP's got its issues, and um, there's tons of gentrification happening there all the time. And But I have to say, it is very nice to see a neighborhood come together and celebrate sticking it to the man. Yeah. Battle won. Yeah. And they do a pretty good job, I think, of not letting... You don't see, like... There's not, like, a Whole Foods tent there. (laughs) 
yeah, who are good. like, yeah, fuck unions, but um, also <laughs> but good also job like... on keeping a highway out, <laughs> you know, who are co-opting that message. I think yeah. they do a pretty good job of keeping it to like it's very local, local restaurants, local musicians, a lot of musicians who play, you know, styles of music that folks who have lived in the neighborhood for years and years and years, as it is uh, Boston's Latin Quarter. Um, you know, it's 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 in line with the desires and needs of the community in a way that I think few kind of big festivals like that are. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm missing stuff. There's probably a bunch of infighting among the organizers or something. There's always something, well, but I have yeah. a good time at it. That's not a, yeah. So don't tell me about it now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can come on the show and I'll interview you about why it's terrible. Um, that's not the only place that you went on Saturday, though. It's not. <laughs> spent, um, spent a little time on the common. I did. So this is my report back from the Rally Boston to Stand Against Hate event, which we talked about last week, uh, which if you're not aware that we posted last week's episode, then you may not have heard about. But you probably did if you were around the area because it was a pretty big deal, Stuff, a lot of stuff going around on social media about it. There was a quote-unquote free speech contingent that was going to show up on the common, and it was basically just an anti-leftist contingent. The the event that was created on Facebook specifically mentioned classical quote-unquote liberals as being welcome in part because it was just anybody who opposed leftists. And by leftists, they were talking about, I think, communists and anarchists specifically, um, and uh, or, or maybe like Antifa specifically, mm -hmm. which tend to be, folks who identify as Antifa tend to be communist or socialist or anarchist. I would say mostly anarchist. So the Boston Globe did a little write-up on this, and I thought it was okay. Mm. Unfortunately, they referenced Boston Antifa, which is a page that is known to be a fake Antifa, potentially a honeypot for collecting yeah. Antifa information. The people who run it, Quinn and I forget the, the other person's name, have been outed already and doxxed, and they keep putting up videos, so they're apparently not too worried about any consequences, but I was like, isn't but that they, like, down? they wrongfully uh, thought they were legit. Yeah. Like didn't do their research. And I mean, here's the problem with a decentralized, you know, quote unquote group of people who have a similar ideology or mindset is that you can't have, there is no official spokesperson, nobody involved with Antifa or any kind of decentralized political ideology wants there to be leaders. Yeah, there's no like appropriate authority because that's like against the entire point. Exactly. <laughs> So, represent. I mean, luckily, the Boston Antifa page didn't say anything that was too blatantly trollish that then got repeated by the Boston Globe. It's just poor journalism to not look a little bit deeper into it. North Shore Antifa is a legitimate group that I, I don't know if they turned out there. There was no sign, but I've seen their banners before. They have a web presence. They're some of the folks who were able to spread the information and let people know that the Boston Antifa page was a bullshit page, mm -hmm. uh, along with It's Going Down, uh, which is a great site that we've referenced a few times and we link to on the site, but everyone should check that out. They also have a podcast called IDG Cast, which you can find on iTunes now as well. Um, the article goes into not a ton of detail, but does mention a few interactions between the two sides, mentions some folks that we know, 
Um, but I, from my experience while I was there, it was for the most part pretty uneventful. Yeah. The, you know, Kekistani free speech contingent waving American flags and signs with Pepe on them and kind of the proto... Newsflash, guys. Pepe's dead. Yeah, Pepe's dead. Well, maybe he's a martyr for their cause in their minds. Who knows? But the Kekistani flag is a flag with a bunch of K's on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Four Ks to be exact, but you know they knew they weren't getting away with yeah. three Ks, and it's based, I think, on the design. Somebody said it was based on the design of an old German flag and fascist imagery. So I looked up flags of sort of pre World War II mm-hmm. Germany. There is in fact a German War Reich flag that looks very much like it. So I think it's very clearly supposed to be toying with fascist imagery. And yet, if you got into it with anyone on that side who is willing to actually talk, they'll admit that they have a problem where there are people who think about Nazi imagery or promote Nazi imagery in a way that is irresponsible, but they won't go as far as saying that that taints their message. Mm. It's really bizarre. Hmm. So it was mostly this this kind of smaller group of folks, some of them dressed up like based stickman. Um, I think his name's Kyle Chapman somewhere in this article. But it, for those who might not be familiar, this is somebody who came out to, I believe, the Berkeley protests with a helmet and a sort of homemade plywood Captain America type shield <laughs> and a stick to hit people who were messed up in the head and he became sort of an unofficial mascot of the alt-right and alt-light trolls on 4chan and 8chan so he spoke for a minute and talked about how we were you know messing with the wrong people and you know we've the uh, real america is crumbling and all this other bullshit and uh yeah so they yelled at us we yelled at them there was cops in the middle uh more cops more and more cops kept showing up as the day went on and uh there were mounted police at some point i think there was a state trooper there if i Mm -hmm. saw correctly and i think there was one scuffle that happened after i had already left um because i didn't feel like spending more than a couple hours really yeah. I mean, mostly my job was keeping, like, you know, an eye out for people approaching from a certain direction. Yeah. And I was just watching dogs the whole time with my friend for the most part. <laughs> and then I had to get some coffee because if I don't have three cups by noon, I start to get a headache. But, um, yeah, there were... Well, apparently there's some really intimidating uh, initiation rituals that include... Um, the names of popular cereal brands. Oh, yeah. That's some tough guy shit. <laughs> yeah, well, it's some Proud Boy shit. Yeah. Is what it is. So the Proud Boys, for those of you who may not be familiar with them, it's a group who call themselves Western Chauvinists. They say they refuse to apologize for creating the modern world. I'm a Western Chauvinist. Come on, guys, come on. I'm a Western Chauvinist. And I refuse to apologize. I refuse to apologize. For creating the modern world. For creating the modern world. One look at these dudes and you will know that they are not the ones who created the modern world. They're just like human tater tots. They are human tater tots. And um, so there was one guy in like an ill-fitting salmon shirt who, you know, there was video of him 
starting this initiation ritual where they like give sort of birthday beating style like little Some light punches pecky punches to this guy who's yelling out the names of cereal and then he's initiated Goodness. into their club by the way their club sucks they have a no wank policy so you can't even jerk off you just hang out with a bunch of dudes who punch you and say serial names and uh it was started by that total goober gavin mcginnis who was one of the founders of vice magazine so back when vice was really really shitty but not yet corporate shitty like it was just misogynistic mm. and racist and and shit shit shitty that you can do without a bunch of money backing um that was basically his brainchild or how he conceived it and eventually it was forced out because he's an, an abhorrent piece of shit even too bad even for them is do you think that the the no wing policy is like in an effort to like just really keep them keyed up yeah it's like vol cell or something yeah voluntary celibacy it's supposed to like keep testosterone in your blood so that you can be like an aggro asshole cool. Cool. um I don't know if it works. I think they'd be assholes no matter what, frankly. I don't think any of them really stick to the no-wank policy. <laughs> they look like a bunch of wankers to me. And that guy in the ill-fitting salmon shirt was the guy who was taken away in cuffs, uh, from what I hear, for punching... A girl. He's a 27-year-old, he's a, he's a or 28-year-old guy from New York, and he punched this 19-year-old young woman in the face. What happened? He put his can in my face. Okay, what kind of can was it? Pepsi can? Okay. Well, what? And then, uh, and, and you, uh, and then you. Then he launched me to the ground. He launched me to the ground? I got up. Okay. And he punched me in the face. And he punched you in the face. Yep. Uh, I guess she was from California. I don't know. But both of them were arrested, ultimately. I only saw a video of him being arrested, but. And why are you being arrested here? Oh, because I'm here. Because you're here? <laughs> yeah, bunch of bullshit. And the only flack I got personally was when I was trying to walk back to the train I was walking with my friend so we're in a small group just two of us and uh, I was more obviously not on their side we headed back across the grass it's your somber outfit in my somber outfit um, well I had a flag mm. but we walked back across the grass instead of taking the sidewalk to go around them and we're immediately swarmed in particular I was immediately swarmed by a bunch of, you know, guys yelling me at me, telling me to join the alpha males. And uh, pulling out my clothes and trying to trip me with flagpoles and just a bunch of other nonsense. It felt exactly like it felt to be bullied in elementary school. Yeah, it just sounds like weird old-timey hooligan shit. It is. And so there was uh, there were a few people that stepped in and were like hey leave these guys alone they're just walking to the train or whatever and one of them was a guy who was dressed in fatigues i don't know if he was an actual soldier or what but you know he seemed like a like a reasonable human being so at a certain point when the commotion died down a little bit when the dust settled i said why are you hanging out on this side of things if you're for being reasonable to a certain extent at all mm-hmm and he was like, well, I'm just very constitutionally minded. And I could understand why looking at a bunch of anarchists and commies on the other side, you know, saying things like 2468, America was never great, might offend somebody mm -hmm. who really believes in the Constitution. At the same time, you're on the side with fascists. Yeah. How do you reconcile that? 
I didn't get to ask him any more questions. He was just sort of like, hey, stay safe. He kind of like gave me a little bit of shit about like, you know, quote unquote, knowing I was going to provoke people by walking through with a flag uh, that was clearly in opposition. I hear what he's saying, but honestly, they came by us. Several, like several people came over to sort of talk or just come by us or something, and they were always just shouted down. I don't yeah. think anybody ever got physical with them. That that scuffle happened at the line between the two people mm-hmm. or at the between the two groups, and cops like intervened and arrested the two people right away. It never happened like outside of that realm. Yeah. There were a lot of very like large sticks like thick dowels that got pulled out (laughs) at one point and there were people in helmets on both sides too so i think there were some people that just came out to smack each other around but you know nobody really made any move which i think is probably indicative of the general sentiment amongst people uh at that rally i don't think anybody really wanted to fight, although it was clear who was willing to get more aggressive faster in right. my in my mind from my experience. Yeah. I mean, I just went to. Well, I wouldn't even say went to. I I uh, saw Porch Fest on Saturday. You saw it happening. Yeah. Around was, the city. It's a pretty non non politically uh, driven event. Yeah, no one was making any stump speeches on the porches. No, nah, it, it was fine. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad there was no fighting at Porch it was Fest. Funky bass in the streets. Got some funky bass behind us right now. Mm-hmm. I said I was going to do no music today, but instead I'm just doing very quiet music, which means there's going to be a lot of door slams in the background. <laughs> Speaking of slamming the door, that was <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. I swear. Oh. Uh, Trump fired FBI director James Comey. That was one of the big stories this week. Yeah. Um, Because of of reasons. Yeah, because of reasons. Do you want to hazard a guess? Uh, I mean, you know, there's some... What's your hot take on it, Athena? (laughs) Uh, Here in Athena's corner. um, I mean, there's some some notion that it uh, may have to do with the investigations into connections with Russia. Um, although... But whatever do you mean? <laughs> I, I, I can't say anything else. Okay. Um, but also, I mean, like, Spicer claims that it was about Hillary and the, and the, and the damn emails! Yeah, I mean, um, it seems like they were sort of scrambling for a reason. I've heard people say, and by people I mean commentators on other podcasts and radio shows, say that it could have been a situation where Trump basically lost his temper and fired Comey without really thinking about what that would look like or the repercussions. Oh, definitely. So not so much that it was a, a calculated move that should be seen. I mean, it's significant, right? I think the last time an FBI director was fired was 1993 or something. Hmm. And it, it had to do with that FBI director like using government money to like fly family members around and stuff. Like it was... Which is there like, were infractions. Yeah, it's like not the most egregious thing you could do, but it's not allowed. Exactly. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. This is a seasonal uh, polar flavor that I've just tried. The strawberry is boring, in my opinion. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Actually, I've had some of it, and I think it was okay. But anyway, back to Comey. So Comey was the lead of the investigation into potential ties between the Trump administration or the Trump campaign, I guess. 
election election campaign and uh, Russia. And so a lot of people, right, as you said, thought it was fishy that he was fired. They saw it as sort of Nixonian. Mm-hmm. But I mean, well, to your point, it could have just been like that he's like, stop effing talking about it and <laughs> just fired him. Cause he's yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he apparently summoned Comey to a dinner. I forget when this was. It may have been just after the election and tried to get him to pledge his loyalty. That was like, like a new story like that came out. Seriously, like pledge fealty. Yeah. There's no other right. option. And Comey was like, how about, I, how about I do you one better, Donald? How about I promise honesty? <laughs> and he was like, you are fucking gone first chance I get. That, I th- I'm pretty sure, is what happened. The White House sort of denies uh, that dinner even happened. But um, but Comey thought the firing was a joke. He was giving a speech and it came across TV. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, he, he did not hear about it even remotely firsthand. Now, to be fair, yeah. Trump probably didn't think that that was going to be that weird for him because he gets all of his news from TV. <laughs> but, yeah, thought... Thought it was a joke. Sean Spicer, there was the whole thing about him hiding in the bushes. So good. Um, Did someone's you see made. The... Oh, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, you I mean, go ahead. I have seen like a series of great gifts about this, but also people are just like printing out Spicers and putting them in bushes. It's really good. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. And, and they sort of fired back, and he was like, I was behind, I was near a hedge. <laughs> You're fully in it. You had your face in like a bird's nest. Yeah, and I guess reporters He's like a child were told hiding that, under like a rack of clothes. Yeah, or, well, I don't think he was doing it necessarily for fun. It's more like a, a dog hiding behind the couch and then having its tail still sticking out. It, like, <laughs> thinks it's doing a really good job. But, uh, yeah, apparently he ordered to have them turn the lights off when he finally got out in front of some reporters. Because his face is so shiny? Maybe. The Washington Post reports that he got his wish and was soon standing in near darkness between two tall hedges with more than a dozen reporters gathered closely around him. For ten minutes, he responded to a flurry of questions vacillating between lighthearted asides and clear frustration with getting the same questions over and over again. Uh, And, yeah, just a bizarre, bizarre decision. It doesn't work, is what most pundits are saying. Like, there's no, there's no out here. Right. It's not going to silence Comey because Comey's not dead. He's just He's fired. Just he could still job. be subpoenaed, although I guess he already declined to um, to speak before any sort of investigating body, hmm. which is interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there are so many reasons that... Did you see uh, Trump's letter? No, I didn't see the letter yet, so we should definitely talk about that. Um, I feel like there's so many reasons really obvious ones that the, the that the folks in this cabinet should not have their jobs but one of them is that they like clearly don't want to be doing them i don't think yeah <laughs> and i don't and i think at a certain point it's like how do you say no and you, how do you back out because yeah, the people that that have done that although as more and more people leave the administration or get fired or take off you know I think it's becoming more and more apparent that since no one takes Trump seriously or anyone close to him seriously, that there aren't really political repercussions. Like, it's not going to be the death of your career to leave this administration because it's a sinking ship. If anything, people will think you're smart. Right. Um, So the letter (laughs) firing uh, Comey, the second paragraph is where everyone 
focused, and I understand why. It reads, while I greatly appreciate you informing me on three separate occasions that I am not under investigation, I nevertheless concur with the judgment of the Department of Justice that you are not able to effectively lead the Bureau. Three separate occasions. <laughs> In case anyone was wondering, he told me three times... I just want to say it in an open letter, just so everyone's aware. Three separate occasions, I'm not under investigation. Donald Trump is, of course, under investigation. <laughs> just an interesting move. <laughs> it's really bizarre. Uh, really, it really is. So that was that was Comey being fired. That was one of the big news stories. One of the other news stories that I focused on anyway, because I've been reading a bunch about Syria, I'm hoping to do an episode on what's mm -hmm. going on in Syria, although it, it changes so rapidly, mm -hmm. you know, that it's hard to keep up. Trump has armed the YPG, the People's Defense Units, who are based largely in Rojava, which is a sort of leaderless group of folks yeah. who are living out a style of communism or anarcho-communism and i it's it's hard to know what to say to that yeah comrade trump like definitely not definitely not <laughs> but uh yeah that's a i mean i think interesting move i mean to, you know you can tell me your take on this what i think is that it shows just the power of of that popular resistance that's coming out of Rojava right now. Because the current administration's stance on popular, on popular resistance generally is to suppress it, even in other countries, because right. nobody wants to. Even, even during, you know, if you read Homage to Catalonia, even during the Spanish Civil War, where communists, radical socialists, and anarchists were working joined together. together, working together, even the people who wanted democracy. Yeah were banded together to fight against the fascist Franco. Right. There was no intervention from foreign powers that could have intervened over and over again because they didn't want anything like communism to win. Right. Because it puts them in jeopardy as an imperialist, capitalist But this seems, democracy. like, powerful enough. It's the only option. To back. In such a In such a complicated part of the world, the only people they can think to send arms to are these folks who are fighting in a sort of rankless, everybody gets paid the same, trying to take care of the people that are in the area, uh, establishing women's defense units and um, people's defense units for men who work together. It's bonkers. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it, I mean, it comes with a few strings attached. They basically are renting the equipment. Hmm. They are able to use it to go out into battle, but we'll have to be giving it back. Um, and then Turkey, of course, um, who ha is no fan of the Kurds, and there are Kurdish fighters within the YPG, are saying that it's an extension of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK, who are separatists that are inside of Turkey. Um, from what I've heard from people on the ground, Brace Belden, for example, who just got back from uh, fighting. That's uh, the interview we listened to not too long yes. ago, right? Yeah, piss, really good. piss Pig Granddad, at Piss Pig Granddad, <laughs> if you want to follow him. I couldn't remember uh, his actual name. Yeah, his, his tweets are hilarious, and, and he uh, did a, a tour over there um, and fought 
uh, and you know he was saying that it's it's ridiculous. There are there are Kurdish fighters in the YPG, um, but it's not related to the PKK. Now whether or not they get assistance from the PKK, I don't know. But say. everyone's getting assistance from everybody else at some point in this. And you know a lot of people are just saying it's a proxy war, basically, and a kind of a new Cold War between Russia and the United States. Russia backing Assad and claiming right. that that's their way of being anti-terrorist. So that was pretty weird because uh, everybody expected. I mean, the, the U.S. apparently had been helping out by having airstrikes that happened ahead of YPG fighters as they roll into a town. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I think the Battle of Kobani was the first big battle. I'm not sure if it happened there, but in some subsequent uh, advances by the YPG and YPJ, from what I heard, the U.S. was you know out ahead of them, like bombing to kind of clear the way a little bit. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure that Turkey had bombed them. Yeah. The YPG, I mean, um, at the same time. So there's just a lot of different opposing forces in that area, and it's hard to really know um, what's going on as you read through things. You've really got to look at your sources. It's one of the more complicated areas. Yeah. And I, I'm, I guess they're not really opposed to anybody trying to support them the ypg in any, in any fashion no or? i think uh i think there's a lesson to be learned from the ypg yeah. now they're they're between a rock and a hard place obviously because at this point um you know they're fighting isis who are incredibly sadistic from what i've heard right. in terms of torture and 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 killing everyone in their path uh they're fighting assad's forces they're fighting al-Nusra, which is the uh, local branch of al-Qaeda. Um, so they're, they're sort of against everyone. Sides, yeah. If they have access to weapons from the United States, even if it comes from Donald Trump, I think they're willing to use them. Yeah. Um, I think there is something to be said for recognizing what that is and what it means, and that they're not suddenly not libertarian socialists because they have accepted arms in order to keep fighting for libertarian socialism. Right. Obviously, you want to constantly examine your theory and praxis. However, there's only so much you can do. Now, I'm not trying to draw any kind of comparison between whether or not you choose to boycott Whole Foods and whether you're going to be leading a siege on Raqqa, but I'm just saying... One of the things about the event on the Common, by the way, just to drop back for a second as we talk about sort of, you know, anarchist, communist, leftist theory and praxis, it's frustrating to me as an anarcho-communist that there isn't a way to engage with the community. What do you mean? Well, I see, I, I mean, there are ways. There's just, like, do you think you're up against too much resistance from the get? I think that civic engagement is seen as maybe not beneath, but less than desirable to most anarchists. Oh, so you, like it's sort of not a priority. Right. Like, I think there's a lot of... Uh, most of the anarchists I know are like very, very smart, but they don't necessarily want to be forming a group that you know goes door to door to give out leaflets about what anarchism is and i don't think they necessarily need to do that but it's like you see groups like the democratic socialists of america or um 
I know of a Maoist group in town or whatever that do this kind of organizing where they're organizing workplaces or they're sort of reaching out to people who may be interested in their politics and doing things to the community. And I would love it if, I mean, beyond Food Not Bombs, which I think is largely anarchist at least in terms of its practice and its vibe, if not explicitly so. I can't think of a group that sort of goes out and interacts with the community and says, like, this is what we're here for. No, and I think that's interesting because, uh, you know, Food Not Bombs is, like, pretty accessible, and I think, and this is not to suggest that, um, you know, there are probably some people who are within those groups who are cool with it feeling a little bit intimidating but I think that that's potentially like people who don't understand what it is to be an anarchist or what it is to be a communist might be like freaked out by it and you're like potentially (laughs) you're potentially I don't know there's like an opportunity for sort of education there if you're willing to engage your community a little bit because like to your earlier point then you have the possibility of a situation like you know, like uh, the homage Catalonia where everybody's got their own, you know, there's like sort of different agendas there, but they're like, we recognize that this is the greater evil <laughs> that right. we should like come against. Well, I think part of it is about banding together with people who have other political tendencies. And I think part of it is just being true to what I've always thought of anarchism as being, which is about people and about building community. Mm-hmm. And if you're serious about that, then you need to get out into the community and do things for the community, even if they're not the hippest, you know, most hardline vegan yeah. anarcho punks or something. Yeah. Um, and I think there are places where that happens. I just don't think that I, I haven't seen Boston necessarily being one of those. And I could be missing stuff that's happening. I mean, I know for a fact that in East Boston, uh, Rosa Negra mm-hmm. uh, and Federation Anarchista Black Rose Anarchist Federation is doing good things and is organizing in that neighborhood yeah. and sticking to that neighborhood. And I'm not over there, so I don't know a lot right. about what's happening. So I'm not just trying to talk shit on every anarchist in Boston, but no. I wish there was a way for me to link in and maybe it's just about starting something. Well, yeah, I mean... Um, but you remember, I don't know if you saw the article that was going around about anarchists fixing potholes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really love that, actually. I just, think like, stuff like that up, is like, great. Fixing the street Like, just shit. fix it. Show show people that the people can do this without government. Well, yeah, government. I mean, honestly, like, there are... Learn there are, to weld. There are... <laughs> learn to weld, come on. It's good practice. Fix some shit. Well, yeah, I mean, like, there are people who are... I mean, I specifically know this just because I've paid a little bit more attention to uh, local politics in Somerville over the last year, but who literally just keep voting for people because they have potholes fixed like that is the thing that they're like oh we like kind of kind of like them kind of know them fix the street like you can do that get out there put on the black and red you know bring a flag around fix somebody's pothole so before we go because we're winding down in the hour i want to start a new segment ah ooh, and it's called rate that praxis So, this is so exciting. The praxis that we're going to discuss today <laughs> is from an Al Jazeera article entitled French Workers Protest by Booby Trapping Plant, quote unquote. 279 employees of a car parts manufacturer are trying to pressure clients. And I should be clear, this isn't customers, this is clients, so meaning car manufacturers. Mm. So, clients of the factory um, to maintain their orders for car parts and keep the plant afloat. It's an ailing car parts factory. It's in central France. They've been destroying equipment, 
So this is like old school sabotage and booby trapping the site to pressure the country's car makers to try to keep it afloat. Their supplier for PSA, Puget, uh, Citroen, uh, Renault, um, and they the falling the falling orders are bringing the plan under the threat of judicial liquidation. So 279 jobs on the line. And uh, they refused to be given the runaround one minute longer, they said. They've been fighting for up to six months. <laughs> and while they said they're, uh, they're sad that it had to come to this, they're still just doing the damn thing. <laughs> just straight up blowtorching through just equipment. What? Just wrecking it. What is happening? So I would rate that. I don't know. I think I got to give it like... What's, what's the scale? Well, you pick whatever you want. I'm going to give it nine and a half wooden shoes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a solid 8.9 welding helmets probably. Nice. Actually, nice. you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say like straight up nine because that's the, um, the number. It's a setting I like to use for not burning my eyeballs when I'm welding. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Are there people that like to burn their eyeballs? They like get into that. Undoubtedly. Hmm. That's a little weird, but you know, to each their own. I'm not gonna yuck your yum. You wanna, you wanna melt your eyeballs? You right go right ahead. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was some other stuff that I read this week that I just wanted to pass on. Stuff that I thought was interesting reading. So, um, the first is something I read actually today. It's on uh, newsyndicalist.org. It's called Changing Minds, No One Cares That You're Right. And I didn't see an author on this, but if mm. I see it, I will post it. Um, it's about active listening and actually references the FBI's hostage negotiation tactics uh, as it talks about how do you organize and agitate uh, fellow workers. Mm-hmm. It seems to be written by somebody who's a member of the IWW, but they talk about one-on-one work, kind of establishing trust through a give and take, about how it's not just gaining information on your coworkers. Like you have to open up and talk about your life and what's important to you as a mm-hmm. worker too. It can't be this thing where you are trying to organize someone you're trying to organize you're together. Like trying to win. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to win things for a group of people, but a lot of people are anti-union without really knowing what that means because they're, you know, certain things have taken on a negative connotation. Uh, so I thought that was a pretty interesting hmm. Uh, look at what leftists can do as they approach somebody who might not have the same mindset as them, but may have similar goals or needs Mm -hmm. uh, that they don't want to admit to necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that I thought was pretty interesting was this article entitled His Kampf. Uh, Richard Spencer is a troll and an icon for white supremacists. He was also my high school classmate by Graham Wood. This was in the Atlantic and it was kind of a biopic in a way. Of, or not a biopic, but it was kind of a biographical shot of Spencer, but without putting him in some sort of... It definitely didn't glorify him. If anything, it was like, you know, appropriately um, deprecating, Okay, I guess. But I just thought it was interesting to see the story of someone who has been in the news so often and who seemed to kind of come up out of nowhere and whose followers seem to be this mass of homogenous in one way, but in another way, a bunch of different disparate, sort of a motley crew of uh, internet trolls and kind of get a feel for 
where where this all originated. Where did he come from? Like um, a, a window who into who he was. Yeah. So this guy ran into him at a party years after they had gone to school together. Was really surprised to see him there, and he started sort of hinting that his ideology and philosophies had really developed over the years, and you know was being really cagey about it. And then as the writer saw him come up in certain circles and was sort of disgusted by the things that he was saying he also sort of became fascinated and richard spencer agreed to do an interview with him hmm. so yeah it's pretty interesting and uh, i would recommend reading it. i haven't quite finished it. i got a few paragraphs left but um because i had to get back to what i was doing but yeah worth checking out i think we'll put links to all that on the blog uh let's do a promo do it Every Tuesday at 3, something special happens on Boston Free Radio. Why, it's Toppers with your host, Gil. Toppers, spinning the tunes that today's youth demand. From Justin Bieber to Lady Gaga to the Fleetwoods. And, on occasion, Hoagie Carmichael. If you missed the program, you can check out the archives at Toppers Radio. That's one word, dot blogspot, dot C-O-M. Toppers. All right. Tune in to Toppers. Keep listening. We got Cruise Control with Victor coming up next. You have been listening to the New England Unsettler. Thank you for that. I'm going to think about ditching the New England part of that name. Just the Unsettler? Just having the Unsettler. You can, you can unsettle outside of this region. Right? I'll talk more about why I was thinking that maybe on the next show. But uh, actually, next week, episode 12, we're going to have an interview with Dr. Christopher Petrella. Mm-hmm. He researches the private prison industry. He teaches up at Bates, Maine. Great guy. It was an awesome conversation. I can't wait to edit it down, get it to you guys. In the meantime, feel free to email myself, Elias, mm-hmm. and Athena at The Unsettler at risedup.net. You can also check out the blog just by looking at theunsettler.org. Mm-hmm. We'll take you right there. Easy. All right. Good chatting with you as always, Athena. Likewise. Stay free, y'all.